Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Local issues. Focus on local issues. This is what today's show's about. No mention of anything national. No, people are tired of that. Let's focus on the local. <laughs> okay. Well, we're, we're, de- we're definitely going to do our best to be focusing on the local today because you don't get much more local than um, than a full council meeting. Oh, isn't it? it and a, a rich tapestry, like Wagner's ring cycle, but slightly longer. Um, yeah, um, or Wagner's washing machine on a rinse, rinse cycle. Um, so, um, yes, but this month's... Um, full council meeting was um, was a rescheduled full council meeting um, that had had to have been um, postponed uh, due to the morning period uh, for the Queen. Um, so there was also a trimmed down AGM. So AGM? No, sorry. There was a trimmed down number of notices of notices of motion. We know that normally mm. there's there's quite a a plethora, a panoply, a spattering of motions from across the political spectrum. Um, but this oh one God. had a grand Family total of show. Let's keep it clean. A grand total of four. Yes. Four. So, um, so there were two for the red, two for the blues. Um, the Lib Dems decided not to not to add to extending the meeting any longer by not submitting any. Um, so, um, yes. Must but mention the purples. Nothing from the purples either. The purples. We don't have any purples. Oh, but what colours are the independents? Grey. Are they grey? Yeah. Oh, I thought they were purple. Um, well, they're they're grey according to their logo on their on the electoral um, oh, on the electoral website. Realized. Anywho, um, so um, yes, so essentially, um, it's a much shorter affair than it normally is. But actually, interestingly, lots of the things that we normally talk about are the notices of motions. The things that we're pre- predominantly focusing on today are actually things that were ahead of the norms in the agenda. Um, so there were a couple of things that kind of came ahead of that. Um, and we talk about being local. You don't get much more local than focusing on where polling districts are. Yes. And I, for those that don't realise, because they are possibly have better and more interesting lives than you and I. How dare you? Um, Oh, it is a risk, isn't it? Um, that when we, we do our work around the hustings and the local um, the local elections and we look at turnout the the districts or the each of the constituencies what are they called wards are they try and keep them roughly the same size but obviously as new housing is built and things change um often they, they, there is a subtle redrawing of boundaries and districts which you would think makes very little difference but um can get some folk pretty vexed um, they can. So, I mean, our conversation here is a bit more about the, the process of it, just to just to kind of help uh, people understand that. So, yes, essentially, um, any ward. So, there are twelve wards in the city, um, and wards, depending on their size. No, there um, aren't. There are fourteen. Oh yeah, there we go. Glad, you're, glad you're paying attention. So there are fourteen. Yeah, yeah. There are fourteen. Um, we sure. Yeah, there's fourteen. <laughs> Oh God, we're off to a good start. There are fourteen wards in the city. Long week. Yeah, it's been a long week, um, and my name's not even Liz Trust. Um, so, um, so there are fourteen wards in the city, and um, some have um, basically four or five uh, polling districts. So essentially, each ward is split into a polling district, um, and each district, usually, not always though, is the case, has a has basically has a polling station, a polling place. Um, that's a translation for the Amer- any Americans that might be listening, um, in within that polling district. So each ward subdivided into four or five uh, districts. Um, now sometimes the polling place will, or the polling station is outside of that district for usually for organisational reasons. Um, but this um, this item was talking about uh, basically trying to realign some of them. So I just thought we'd very very quickly show um, show what they are. Um, for the ones that were being discussed, so the wards that were being discussed were um, uh, were Milton, Baffins, Copner, and Hilsey. So um, some sort of like um, realignment there of the of, of the districts in um, in Baffins to actually, um, in effect, actually lose um, to kind of 
jiggle around the space, lose a bit into one. And then if I show for those of you watching kind of live streams, so you can see with the Copner, again, a little bit of a, um, a jiggering around. But uh, again, it's just that kind of minutiae of, and those are things that aren't decided by political parties. So they aren't decided as a political decision. Those are decisions that are made upon recommendations. Um, and although councillors have, um, have a feedback on it, um, it isn't really something that um, that they get to, uh, that, you know, they, it isn't their decision per se, but they get to have, have a say on it. Um, so an interesting thing, but a, a little bit of a minutia from a process point of what happens um, with regard to how electoral politics can work in the city. Yeah, and in conversations with a, a councillor recently, they, they um, highlight to us how, how much this can have an effect in that uh, a, um, going back a few years, one of the polling stations used to be in the pub. And uh, what it meant is that, uh, that a certain proportion of the population who were perhaps um, retired um, used to make polling day a day out and all cast their votes just before lunchtime and then take advantage of the uh, lunchtime deal. And when they moved the polling uh, booth just a couple of hundred yards up the road to uh, to a junior school rather than a pub, suddenly the turnout in that um, in that particular sub ward dropped through the floor as the uh, as for some reason the uh, the art uh, the, the the late morning at a junior school was not as appealing as a as a trip to the pub. So it can have an impact, but um, yeah, these are the these are the wheels within wheels that uh, make local government function. They, they are indeed. Um, but, you know, essentially, um, all of those polling stations um, across the city either have disabled access or they have the ability to have a basically a temporary ramp uh, put in for the uh, for the purposes of the election day. Um, and um, and of the 40, uh, so <laughs> of the 14. So in each each ward in Portsmouth, there are three councillors. So of the 42 councillors, um, one's being elected, re-elected three years out of out of four because uh, we elect in thirds, although there is an, actually an all-up election in, two, in 2026 in the city because some of the boundaries are being changed. Um, but just out of that, you know, the effort to try to normalise the numbers of um, the numbers of electors in, in each district, um, kind of the the majority, the bulk of the districts um, kind of settle somewhere between, one, you know, um, 1,000 and 2,500 uh, voters, but the outliers being um, the smallest one with only 300, which is uh, Christchurch Church Hall in London Road in Drayton Farlington, so Simon Boucher's patch, um, and the two... Um, the two highest being both in Central Southsea, Fernhurst Junior School, and the Holy Spirit Church at Fawcett Road, um, both both having twin uh, sorry two thousand eight hundred and two thousand nine hundred respectively. So there's only so many ways to carve up the city, I guess, to try and but yeah, and I get it. yeah, uh, I guess it's it's about density of housing, isn't it? Is the other factor that comes into play? It's that. So yes, yes. Uh, so the mechanics turning. Uh, what else you? got for us then in the the, the list of non-contentious um so the topics. so the civic office is um so, so this <laughs> the civic offices so there's a, as, as we're saying earlier on the, some of the key interesting points of this agenda weren't the notices um weren't just the notices of motion but were actually the um the things that were reports back to the council so they weren't actually things that the council could vote on as to whether to uh, change a policy uh, because of the cabinet method that we have but they are actually reports that the full council had uh, basically the power to either accept the minute or or um you know basically to, to raise questions about it so the big contentious one was uh, the Tipner West Regeneration Project, which we will, mm. which we will get to in a minute. But the other one was the um, reporting on the um, the idea of the civic office's sustainability. So um, so essentially, that was also a bit of a, a short um, item on the agenda um, to basically go away and have a look at um, have a look at things in a more robust form. But it was quite enlightening to see um, just how much. Um, that is so. For example, over the last three years, um, the council has spent about three hundred thousand pound a year on average on maintaining um, that building. 
um, and um, it has a high um, cyclical repair cost. Well, although the building is, is about 50 years old, it was built in the 70s, it suffers from um, essentially being an enclosed building that means that there's no way to open windows, but it, it basically dark, uh, dark windows which are all the fashion in the 70s mean that it's basically a heat trap um, and although originally an open plan office it's now been kind of subdivided um, but um, prior to Covid um, the usage rate was about 47% during Covid about 16% um, but it's used by a variety of um, council city functions from branch records to um, to a public facing um, place for people to um, engage with and pay uh, council bills uh, so the cashiers um, section, uh, dispatch office, um, CCTV control room. So you know the big question um, going forward is a, is of course, you know, do the options exist that you either um, maintain that building or replace the building where it is or relocate to a different place um, entirely to have um, perhaps something that's a bit more modern and a bit more fitting of the way that people engage with the councils these days um as you know things have things have changed and how they did in the 70s isn't isn't how we'd envisage envisage that today. yeah and if, I, if only the if only the council owned some kind of modern office block that post pandemic has more spare offices in it than you could possibly countenance that is linked to the center of the city via a park and ride scheme oh should we call that lakeside yeah, damn it! You you literally just nicked the the very thing that I was gonna say. I stole your punchline. You, you've stole my punchline. You've stole my thunder. How dare yeah. you? Um, and if only yeah. there was another council-owned building, perhaps with lots of books in it, which maybe have declining usage in terms of footfall. That perhaps the council could put some kind of customer-facing department in there, called Portsmouth Central Library. It's not difficult, this is it? They should they should put us in charge. I think, Simon. <laughs> um, I, th I th you know, um, it's early days, isn't it? Looking at it now, but it, um, you know, essentially, um, over the cost of um, relocating, of course, there'll be costs with um, considered considered with that. Um, obviously, depending on whether that means building a new building or not, or procuring land. But like you say, things like Lakeside, if if you know, if the theory is that that's not too far considered too far out the city um but surely a lot of the administrative functions that aren't publicly facing and also you know do you really want people in the city have to kind of schlep all the way across the city to get to make those payments in the civic offices um in the center of the city isn't this an opportunity and this is one of the things that calls out is the opportunity to uh, you know either regenerate that um that site for uh, for example, for a museum, for a you know Arthur Conan Doyle museum, um, or you know as, as basically as just um, retail office space, so that it you know helps regenerate um, the other parts of the city centre. All all ideas in the melting pot, but um, yeah, an inter an interesting but short um, one. But it was just worth kind of seeing just quite how much that is actually costing and why there is a unanimous support behind the idea of investigating alternatives. Yeah, and it's one of these things where, and this is where you know you you could, uh, and you you know I do worry sometimes about um, you know councils and the speed with which they move at because you know, if we break that down, you know when we're talking about three hundred thousand pounds a year on maintenance costs, that's twenty five thousand pounds a month on maintenance cost, you know which is six thousand pounds a week, you know which is an awful lot of you know, people's council tax that is just being used. And look, I know wherever you go, it's not going to be free. But it's that question of, you know, if that £6,000 a month was your money, you'd be feeling pretty sprightly about getting an alternative put together rather than... My worry is that having, you know, the problem looks evident is that even pre-pandemic, it was half empty. Now it's somewhere between half empty and three quarters empty. Um, you, you'd think that was a burning plat. If you were a commercial organisation, that would be a burning platform to get that fixed pretty quickly, wouldn't it? Yeah, in, indeed. If you, you know, if that was your asset, you wouldn't be um, you wouldn't be wanting to leave it underutilised as much as much as that. So, shall we now go west? West. Oh, go go west. Sorry, I thought you were starting to do a bit of um, 
start to do a bit of um, Pet Shop Boys there. Yeah, it could happen. It, it could. But we'll lose even more viewers if you, if either yeah, of us start yeah, singing could, Pet Shop Boys. So let's not. Yep. I, I've missed the space out on the on the little thing. Um, so the Tipner West Regeneration Project. Um, a bit of the history, uh, to be honest with you, um, it's best to actually let that kind of come across in the clip that I've got because um, Councillor Cal Corkery um, talks a bit to that, so that kind of helps us understand that a bit. Um, and, um, yeah, so I've got some... So there's about an hour debate on this one. It, it's the only point through the agenda um, on Tuesday at which there wasn't unanimous agreement. Um, mm. So, uh, and we could talk to how that how that went um, later on. Um, but, yeah, so should I play that clip? I, I get just give a quick a very quick synopsis mm -hmm. that, that it's basically as you drive in on the m275 if you mm -hmm. look left out of your window that that land that you see there has been sort of mooted about being developed reclaimed um you know, for many years and there has been the well what do we build on it do we reclaim land um there's a lot of wildlife related conundrum in that and probably for what do you reckon a few years or should we've been on the verge of creating a plan to develop a plan to decide what we're what can what we're going to do and this was supposed to be the the if i may quote billy bragg the great leap forward what a segue into cal you've got to go if you go billy bragg to cal i'm sure he wouldn't be disappointed with that well um unfortunately cal isn't I mean, he's near the start of the clip, but he isn't right at the beginning of the clip. Um, oh. So we've got some, um, so there were some, dep there were three deputations um, relating to this, uh, but we've got some clips from uh, from one of them, um, um, which, um, which, which which we've got as part of our clips. So you had to trim things down because the debate itself um, was was o just over an hour um, and we've tried to kind of put it into about a 16 minute clip. So, um, so shall we? Go. Shall we have a listen? So, um, and I've left in where the Lord Mayor actually introduces people to save me pausing and doing that. Um, but yeah, so the um, so the deputation that you hear an excerpt from is um, is from the local representative of the uh, of Portsmouth Green Party. Um, so, and my apologies, I'm having a brain emptying moment where I've forgotten her name. So I'm sorry. I'll capture that in the comments in a second. But let's um, let's just listen to that, um, and I'll just do the audio only because we so we don't have to try and coordinate the video because that's bound to mess up somewhere along the line but here we go there are unique features in the landscape that do the job of so many things that can't ever be replicated and are at risk of being destroyed such as the vital habitat for dark-bellied brent geese and the black-tailed godwit and the salt marshes which act, which act as a natural sea natural sea defenses and a carbon sink whilst also remediating pollution in the area. At a time when of necessity we are building sea defences all around Port Sea Island, what sense is there building anything new at sea level? Councillor Gerald Vernon-Jackson. The land at the, uh, at the entrance to the city at Tipner has been derelict for many years. The City Council seems to start to looking at this for development in the 1950s. In 2014, the City Council signed an agreement with the government to develop this as part of the city deal. But there were subsequently more concerns raised about the environmental impact of doing land reclamation. And it's right that we've paused to take time to look at this again. If we do nothing, then the sea defences will fail, the land at Tipno West will flood with seawater, and eventually existing homes to the east of the motorway will flood. Even if we do the minimum of just repairing the sea defences, this will mean dredging and disturbance to the environment. So there's no option where there is no change and no impact on the environment. The cost of this project is eye-watering. All political parties in the city have come down to a preference for the city deal project. But this means finding £5 million of ongoing cuts and no one wants to cut vital council services and to count, sack council employees because we're trying to make this project work. People from all the groups on the council are likely to be part of administrations over the next 20 plus years that this will take to be d delivered. I'm pleased that this proposal removes the idea of the super peninsula. Lennox Point is no more. Councillor Corkery. 
I think it's worth starting just by reflecting briefly on how we've got here. People like the Hampshire Nile Wildlife Trust have been publicly campaigning on this since at least 2019. So they will have presumably been aware of those objections and taken them into account as part of their decision-making process when they decided to progress those super peninsula plans. Then comes along the Cabinet report in, I think, late 2020, I think it was November from memory, um, and that Cabinet report is the one that decided to progress the Super Peninsula and spend millions of pounds on pushing forward that proposal. Then full council last year, again, I think it was November 21, where the Labour group put forward the motion um, asking for the administration to pause and rethink the project in respect of the objections that had been made very publicly by the environmental campaign groups and local residents, as we've heard here today. Since then, not immediately, it has to be said, but then in the lead up to local elections this year, there was a cross-party group set up to look at the local plan because we were told at that time that the main rationale, the real reason for pushing forward a super peninsula at Tipna is the imperative to meet um, government housing targets. So therefore, we need to look at the local plan, look at the figures within that. And it's been mismanaged and overspent. There's been a failure of political leadership to ensure buy-in to a project of this size, this complexity and this controversy. And I know I've said this a number of times and I'll keep saying it again. In a council with this political makeup, where there is no overall control, it's incumbent on the council leadership to bring people with you. Imagine the difference those mi missing millions could have made to frontline council services. If pushed ahead, the lands reclamation at Tipna would create a Tipna precedent, where the highest environmental protections are overridden for the purpose of building houses. I know the, the phrasing used is around minimising lands reclamation, but what I believe will happen is that they will go away and brought back to us at some point in the future with a proposal that is lands reclamation. We want to see the regeneration of Titna, which places local people and the environment at its heart. There is a real danger with these kind of large-scale developments delivered by the market that it is profit which becomes the determining factor in what is built and for whom. That means minimal affordable housing, which is in fact not even affordable for local people. It means minimum space standards, so that people are crammed in like sardines. It means minimum environmental standards, so developers' profit margins are not risked by such trivial considerations as the future of our planet. One particular option that we are keen to explore, and I think hasn't been explored to my mind, or certainly no evidence has been provided of that today, is the council leading the development, development itself. Councillor Hunt. As one of the ward councillors for the area, on behalf of residents, despite some of the things that you've heard, it is vital to ensure sea defences are built to protect hundreds of homes and businesses across Tipna, Stamshaw and towards Hilsey from flooding as sea levels rise. The Chief Executive has been explicit in his advice to members that the do-nothing or do-minimum and city deal options pose significant financial risks to council taxpayers. I'm not going to decimate local services on some anvil of political ideology. Councillor Madden. Any decision we take requires the approval of the Secretary of State. You know what, I have to say this won't, may not be easy. Sea defences will have to be built anyway. Councillor Matthew Atkins. But we are in this position because of the indecision and incompetence of this Liberal Democrat administration. I take no responsibility today for the fact that I'm going to vote against this and the financial risks this creates because I place that blame squarely at the door of Gerald Vernon Jackson, the leader of the council, and his cabinet. The problem is it is not a piece of wasteland from an environmental point of view. If you go and you read the... Uh, Solent Waders and Brent Goose strategy published in 2020, you will find that this is described as a primary support site for the Brent Goose. It is a second tier site below a core area. It is likely that building on this site will have an impact on the population of the Brent Goose, and certainly it has a good chance of having an impact on the population of the Brent Goose that visits this city. Now, this area, the Solent, hosts 15% of the entire international population of this species every winter. We are talking about a project that could have a material impact on the survival of this species. It is a result of spending not to produce a plan 
that we are in this situation. We have no plan. This council has spent 20 million pounds. That is our financial black hole. It is not my responsibility. It is the responsibility of this cabinet. Councillor Scott Peter Harris. The reality is, though, this is no longer a decision based upon vision. This is now purely a financial decision. I don't want to see this council go down the line of a section 114 notice. That hasn't actually been referenced in this report. The financial options on every single one does not stack up. That they're all, they're all, quite frankly, they're all quite rubbish financially, um, in all honesty. And we're being asked to pick our poison. Uh, Councillor Smythe. We're on the verge of making a decision that, in my mind, remains a fudge. And um, we talk about compromise, but I think there's a degree of uh, fudginess here. Do you know, it's, I was thinking, uh, given the uh, polls at the moment, it's almost as if uh, the, uh, you know that Labour are going to come into power and be left with this mess to sort out. And we do think there should be some development. We do think that the industrial development is a good thing. Particularly bullet point three, prioritise the protection of the land south of the firing range. It doesn't say avoid any damage to the land south of the firing range. That's a, that's a bottom line for us. Uh, bullet point nine says minimise land reclamation. Minimise, that's fudgy as well, isn't it? It could be a bit, it could be a bit more, it could be a bit more than that. But this concern about the environment will not go away. For us, if delay is a problem now, it's going to be much more of a problem in, the, in one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years. During that time, we have to be in control. It will be much more of a problem. And um, I want to re-emphasize the fact that no money can outweigh the possibility of any administration deciding to destroy any of this unique ecosystem. You will never replace it. Councillor George Madurek, please. I just want to call it what it is without a political spin, and that's it's absolute rubbish. Every option is rubbish. But the position we're in is rubbish. Um, everything about this is terrible. There's no good option. There's no good outcome. There's no possible positive spin. Nothing. It's rubbish. And I don't like the fact that Councillor Atkins said that he doesn't have any responsibility. We all have equal responsibility. Um, you know, you guys collectively have asked the administration, as a minority administration, to go away and come back with a plan. They've brought you a plan, you voted it down and asked them to do a new plan. Then you've asked them for a new plan, you voted it down, a new plan, new plan, new plan, new plan. This has cost the money, this has been wasted, and this is our fault as collective. We weren't here as a group then, but it is our fault collectively. We are the politicians, we are the people elected. It's our fault. We frustrated the process and now we're in a rubbish situation because for years politicians like us have been making rubbish decisions. There is no plausible outcome. In respects of people saying, well, you know, we could ask the numbers to drop. I was in a meeting along with uh, Councillor Peter Harris, Councillor Gerrada, Councillor Hunt, Vernon Jackson, um, and obviously officers, where we spoke to the Chief Planning Officer of England and I asked a very, very blunt, simple question. Tell me, is there a way we can reduce these numbers? Factually, is there a way? And the basic blunt answer was no. Simple as that. No, we can't. Nothing's easy, nothing's good. Nothing, no decision we make today is, is going to be positive. But frustrating the process even more will be even more negative. I'd love to see a show of hands of how many councillors in this room has been a director or owned a company that's produced 100, 300, 400 million pound development, because I certainly haven't. And we're sat here expected to, to vote on things and make decisions on things that, let's be quite frank, are beyond our comprehension or understanding. Councillor Bosher. I, I'm sort of uh, wondering what the Brent Goose has done to the Liberal Democrats to, to warrant all this, because I cut my political teeth back in the 1990s when they wanted to move Fratton Park to Farlington Marshes, and some people may remember that. Councillor Heaney's nodding away. He probably does. And the champions of... Uh, destroying that Brent Geese habitat was Mike Hancock and the Liberal Democrats. And here we are again, 30 years later, let's try and take it out on the, Liberal, uh, on the, uh, the Brent Geese all over again. Yeah. Councillor Corkery has he's mentioned it in the working groups on a couple of occasions, and, and Councillor Madwick has, uh, has alluded to it as well. And that's some sort of in-house development. But I'd sort of mention two words, Spinnaker Tower. We tried to build that in-house with Portsmouth Spinnaker Tower Limited, and I'm looking at Councillor Madden because he will probably remember this, and we were asking our, our engineers, I can't remember the gentleman's name for life of me, I'm sure you will, Leo, 
that we were sort of asking to be a, a sort of a, an assistant city engineer in the morning and build us a tower in the afternoon. And that ended up in a political hot potato and we ended up with a development and running over costs. So be very careful what you wish for if you want to start trying to build things in-house. But Councillor Vernon Jackson, you're on notice that there are members of this council that are going to be watching very closely what your interpretations are of words like minimise going forward because that is where people are absolutely interested in what the outcome is actually going to be. Now, there are no good options in this. Every one of them is a bad option. In the first instance, Gerald, your engagement with the opposition groups leading up to the notice of motion from Labour was dreadful. We then went into these cross-party working groups and we spent the first four months of those, probably five months of those, with officers and yourself trying to justify let's go down the super peninsula route. This is why we need to go down it. So we eventually, and the, 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 the messages coming back from the other groups was we don't want to explore that. The notice of motion made that abundantly clear that that's not where we wanted to be. So we probably could have been having this debate back in March. Councillor Pitt. Uh, Councillor Magic is correct that the current situation we have was confirmed by the head planner for England and that we have done all that we can at this stage in the local plan process. Um, I must take exception with one point raised by the Hampshire and Isle Wildlife Trust who said they haven't changed their red lines. They actually have, certainly from an earlier meeting with me, and that's okay because that's allowed but they have changed their position from where they were uh, and they're now drawing a red line over a small area, a smaller area than they were previously talking about. Uh, they've also said that they've presented viable proposals to the council and I must make it absolutely clear to this council that that is not the case. We have some concept drawings and a, a line on a map. We do not have a viable proposal from the Wildlife Trust. This is a development costing hundreds of millions of pounds and it is inevitable that you sink tens of millions of pounds in to get that kind of development out. So it's absolutely disingenuous to say that money's been wasted. If you read the report, it is clear that there may be an element of aborted cost yet to be defined, but in order to explore a project on this scale and with that, this complexity, and most importantly, with this biodiversity complexity, you have to spend an awful lot of money making sure that you're not going to do harm. So it's completely disingenuous to pretend that instead you could use it for council services when we all know, every single one of the 42 of us, that that was never on the cards. And yes, we had this process has not been perfect and mistakes have been made. We have to work cross-party from here on in. But to pretend that land that's going to disappear underwater in a few years' time can just be left to be beautiful is a completely fake and false premise, and no one in this room should sign up to a fantasy. We have to protect the environment, we have to protect wildlife, we have to provide homes, and we have to provide land for jobs. Councillor Vernon Jackson, uh, it is to you to sum up. We have spent money on this, absolutely but we've spent money that's been given to us by the government to get a development to happen. Not one penny that has been spent on this could have been spent on other, any other council business because this was money given to the council specifically to do this development. Okay. Good Lord. So, um, and I must explain, I've obviously shortened people's responses because that obviously wasn't an hour conversation. So I've clipped some bits out of people's um, conversations and my apologies for the quality of the audio, um, but I think the, the sound levels in the council chamber aren't set right so that basically when people speak, some of them are actually speaking too loud um, and their microphones uh, basically distort um, the voices uh, as a result. Um, but hopefully you, you could follow that. But essentially the, the report oh. is saying these are the options, actually the original option of the super peninsula, so that's the bit of reclaiming a shed load of land from those tide, intertidal mudflats around uh, the Tipna Peninsula in order to put in a large uh, development of about uh, 2,000 to 3,000 homes. Um, three and a half to start yeah, with. Was, was, is basically is no more. Um, and the money to explore that so obviously, it's a lot of money bunged into the hole. That's that sunk cost um, 
but that money didn't come out of council services. That money came for us. Came. Oh, hang on. What's going on there? Oh, sorry. Bit of our own audio coming back. Um, it was only the fact that I could see that you weren't talking that made me wonder what was going on. Um, so. And that was that was from some shows ago. That was, yeah. So that's, um, sorry, that's just something sat on my iTunes on my computer. Um, so, yeah. So there's there's a there's a there's a lot of intrinsic detail in there. Mm. Um, Hampshire Isle of Wight and Wildlife Trust and the local Greens, um, obviously making making the case for that that you know there should be either minimal or shouldn't be any development there. Um, Judith Smythe uh, pointing well, out that once you've removed that intertidal mud flat you can't recreate it you you know although they're yeah you know so sorry i'll let you trip him yeah so for for me isn't it a, this one is a very fascinating kind of it, it, it's the optics on it looking from the outside in um the 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 kind of consensus piece in there that i picked up was there are no easy answers and whatever is produced or isn't produced is going to disappoint somebody. And I think that with something like this, it, it is very, um, you know, it is, it is massively complex and it, it's very easy to, to try and make political capital out of it. You know, I wasn't aware of the Lib Dems hatred for Brent Geese, but obviously, you know, there's there's obviously something gone on there. Um, similarly, the the, you know, the the well, if we hadn't have spent the money on this, we could have spent it on something else. Again, you know, none of these things are perhaps they're, they're great. Um, Judith was all buoyed up and fizzy, wasn't she? You know, when we're in control in the next few years come the day of the revolution sisters and brothers which uh, was all good but ultimately when you when you look at it and we've had gerald on the podcast before portsmouth is an island and if it was a guest house we'd be hanging a sign on the the start of the m27 that said no vacancies so you know if we want more affordable housing or housing generally You've got to build it somewhere. And, you know, when we looked at that super peninsula, the super peninsula, I think it, it is bravest number. It, let's say it came out of 3,000 homes. Well, the target for Portsmouth is 18,000. So even if you went with the full 3,000 on the super peninsula, you're not halfway there to your target, are you? You've still got 15,000 to build. Um, yeah. And, and that... so... You know, I, 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 whilst I'm, I'm, I'm more than happy with the baying and hooting at the administration. Um, this risks a, a bit like being the Brexit vote, doesn't it? We'll put a number of options in front of you, and we'll tell you all the ones we don't like, which is all of them, but we won't tell you what we do like. No, and and various um, various politicising and various kind of leaflets will talk about kind of different um, angles of it and accuse um, accuse the administration of of you know not seeking um, um, an exemption from um, from the government targets, which is the I think it's seventeen thousand seven hundred homes over the next ten years. It's got to find a, a place for. Um, so you know, th you know, two to three thousand of those being an, at um, at Tipner West is a, is a is a sizable chunk of that. It's not going to happen overnight. Uh, I mean, as Gerald yep. Vernon Jackson, the leader of the council, was talking about, this is something that we've all got skin in this game. Um, it was interesting. He was talking about that. You know, regardless of the various administrations that there are going to be over the next twenty years, it's going to affect all of us. But let's yep. not pretend that this that this environmentally important and nationally important site um, is going to remain in its current state because it, it won't because over the few years, sadly, it's going to disappear underwater as sea levels rise. Um, and also there's concern, the concern of, and, and that causes a risk because there's a number of houses that would then be at risk of flooding because of the sea yep. defences um, up in that part of the city. Um, but there's also then the contamination on the site. So it's kind of like, 
and, and yeah, Councillor George Madrick kind of pretty much said, look, it's awful if we do nothing. It's terrible if we do nothing, but it's awful to do something. Um, yeah, and I, and I paraphrased I, I thought, him, but yeah. Yeah, no, I thought he and he and Scott Pater-Harris summed it up in terms of the, you know, I think Scott used the exact words, we've got to pick our poison. Yeah. And and I think that that is, that's the perfect summary of where we are today. And I think that, I think Councillor Madrick very eloquently articulated the the go away and prepare us a buffet. No, we don't like any of that. Go and prepare us another one. No, we don't want any of that either. Go and prepare us a third. Why is the council wasting money on buffet food? Yeah, and 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 that that is a thing. So it's a, it's a shame. This is one of those things. Like a lot of um, lot of the really big decisions facing the city. Um, when you look at some of the things that are about environmental policies that, to be honest, need tough, actually unpopular decisions to be made for the good of the future of the city. Um, if they're made leaflet fodder, if they're made point political point scoring, all that means is that no one does anything and therefore the the necessary decisions aren't taken. And that's why 40, 40, 50 years on from people starting talking about it, nothing's happened at Tipner West. Mm. In the same way that nothing happened about a monorail, in the same way that nothing happened about, you know, oh God, a tunnel under the bloody harbour. Yeah. All of those but, things. But yeah. but Simon Bosch's example about the Spinnaker Tower was was really prescient, wasn't it? About um, if we tried to do this self, this ourselves, we're rubbish at it. So let's yeah, not. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it... it, it you know, it, it, it is it, it is that wonderful thing, isn't it? You know, the 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 when you know again I remember looking round when we were buying our first house, you know, there was a chap who was a oh, DIY enthusiast, me, I built this all myself and you looked at it, I could see then and went Yeah, I yes, can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, you have, haven't you? Um marvellous. You won't be buying this one. Um, and I think that that's where, you know, you, you've got that situation. And again, you know, I was when I lived over in Gosport, the 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 Gosport light railway that was, you know, potentially going to run from even run under the harbour, as you said, you know, for 10 years, the, the office was in the town centre. And I think they spent somewhere between 50 and 60 million pounds on that as a conceptual idea. And then at the end of 10 years, um, they closed the office down and sent everybody away, um, and that money was gone. So, I think there is an element of there is a there is a bit a little bit of moral maze about this, isn't there? Mm. Which is that the people of Portsmouth need more housing, and you know Cal Corkery there, who is you know is is a passionate housing campaigner, you know, and is very, you know, is very vocal about the need for social and affordable housing, um, you know. If it's if it's not going to be in Tipner, you know, if it's the geese versus the the people of Portsmouth, you know, there there is no to use the management cliche, there is no win-win situation. So, to quote Scott Peter Harris, choose your poison. But it but it's a strange situation to, on one hand, criticise the administration for not making a decision or not making a um, an unpopular decision, um, and quote unquote taking it out on the Brent geese. Um but if if what you also do is campaign heavily on the decision being made and make it impossible to make a decision because our electoral system in Portsmouth means that people are up for you know, three out of four years, um a councillor in every ward is is up for re election, it makes it next to impossible because electorally you can't make those decisions um, but it's just a bit of a shame to see on one hand, you didn't make a decision. And on the other hand, here's a leaflet that we printed that says the decision that you're suggesting is awful. And, you know, pitting, um, mm. you know, the, the examples that we see are, are pitting um, car road users against cyclists in, in schemes that are just, you know, that aren't actually kind of really going to be happening. So it, it's it. this is where you kind of almost want to lock them in a room, bang their heads together and say, for the love of God, can you stop point scoring with each other? And work together and well, do, sort this shit out. Well, do you think? Uh, I, and my thought on this, and it's only one that's formed as as I've as I've thought during you know during the 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 way in which reflecting on what they've said, is this something that should come out of the hands of Portsmouth City Council? 
Now, at the end of the day, I, I, I often see, for me, the city council and the, 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 you know, some of those panels, the licensing committee, you know, or the planning committee, trying to, trying to influence decisions that would be bad for Portsmouth, you know, such as, can we have another HMO here? No. Appeal? Appeal granted. Build yourself an HMO. Can we have some more student housing here? No. Appeal? Appeal granted. So I do wonder whether a, a development of this magnitude and the difficulty that there will be in getting the compromise between building the right number of dwellings and businesses versus trying to protect the natural habitat, whether uh, effectively this this goes out of the hands of the councillors of Portsmouth to, you know, the, the grey people in suits who make the decision on the city's behalf and say, build that. I mean, either way, because it's a triple, S a, um, triple SI um, site, it has to go to the Secretary, Secretary of State anyway. Um, but it, it's a kind of, the councillor in a, in a catch-22 they have to submit a local plan to government that's that yep. basically has planning for sorry has has a suggestion about where these 17,700 or whatever the number is over over 10 years homes could be um otherwise um central government basically take away uh basically the the the, the planning decision on a local plan from the city council and get those decisions actually made by people in bristol um, of all places i'm sure bristol's a lovely place but i don't know why bristol um and, and um and so they're kind of like buggered uh, but then they've got to make a make a they've got to make plans of how awful it will be to be able to draw or how impossible it is to get these to reach these numbers to send it to someone who says oh no you can't reach those numbers are you going to change the target that we've got oh no mm. so so to, to draw this one into a close then so we 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 felt a lot of passion and, a, a, you know, again, for, for me, uh, did you pick up sort of, there was a little bit of phony war about it, I felt, in terms of everyone sort of knows that at some point we're going to have to hold our nose and take our medicine. But, you know, this was the opportunity to point out how bad the medicine was. When it came to marching through the chat, whatever they do to hold a pineapple in the air, to, to cast their vote how did how did the vote go so um so the, i mean the minute was it was accepted anyway um so there were um so there were oh where's my number gone so there were 18 for four against and 19 abstentions so the 18 for were the liberal democrats and two of the Liber liberal democrats and hating brent geese party <laughs> Um, and and they don't, they also don't vote. Um, so in a system, and I'm not saying that makes it the right decision, but in a system where well, I you're, say expendable are they, Sansbury? Is that what you're saying? No, but if if your if your system punishes you politically for making tough decisions, you make tough decisions for for entities that aren't on your electoral roll because it forces you into that direction it doesn't re it doesn't reward you making the right long-term decision that's why actually probably central government struggles to make large infrastructure decisions because every local um local community says we well, don't want that nuclear power station high-speed rail network um yeah. insert you know infrastructure project near here but we absolutely must have them okay but where we don't know just not here yeah, absolutely. Anyway, um, so um, yeah, so um, it was the Lib Dems and two of the Pips um, that voted for. Um, against were four of the Conservatives, um, which was councillors Atkins, Lee Mason, uh, John Smith, um, and oh god, I've I've not on my note. Um, LS, LS, who would be LS? Can't remember. Um, gonna have to gonna have to um figure that one out um but the abstentions were the labor group the linda symes oh yeah linda symes that's it thank you sorry linda oh. um so councillor linda symes uh voted against but then the abstentions were the labor group um the rest of the conservatives um and uh, russell simpson uh from the portsmouth independence party 
And again, you know, the, the, the abstention is, 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 well, we're not going to turn it over, but we're not going to, we're not going to. Yeah, so it's almost like someone's done their maths and thought, well, we can't, I mean, it doesn't make any difference if we wrote this down anyway, because all we're doing is accepting that this report exists. It's not going to change the decision. Yeah. So we've just spent an hour saying how crap it is, and it's really crap, and it's crap that you're crap, and you're crap. Um, so come back to us with something better, because everything you've come back to us so far is crap. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we will we will watch this space. I have a a sneaking suspicion that um that this one is uh if I had my nervousness about the uh the seventies carbuncle that is the civic offices being uh, moved forward quickly, I'm not sure this one is gonna um is gonna accelerate ahead of it, is it? I didn't possibly not but i'm i'm sure it's worth a worth a um paragraph or two on a couple of leaflets come next may isn't it at the end of the day absolutely this is um this is this is one to watch but how quickly it will move is another matter entirely but the tide is coming in photographs of lib dem councillors sat around their christmas table tucking into the goose with a that'll show you are you giving councillor bosher a leaflet idea i might be might be always happy to help. So, what else was on the, was on the list? So, um, oh. so um, despite it being a trimmed down session, there were some other um, other really um, key um, key issues that were actually di- um, discussed today. Um, and there were two actual um, maiden speeches and um, maiden motions from uh, Councillor um, Councillor Shah uh, for Kosham and uh, Councillor Ajenaran um, for Charles Dickens. So. Um, so there were there were some good points there also mentioned was the um was um basically the acceptance of the um, making the milton plan which sounds a bit like one of those films about making a film um but it's basically saying okay so the um the make the milton neighborhood forum contributed towards helping um helping kind of shape how the how the consultation and engagement with that local neighbourhood and the recent referendum that took place in Milton about accepting that neighbourhood plan um, was a success. Um, and uh, Councillor Kimberly Barrett and um, Gerald Vernon Jackson um, and Steve Pitt all uh, thanked uh, those involved for all of that work. But it was an um, and they spoke to this a, a bit about that, which was that that's something that other parts of the city might want to consider. So again, maybe a bit of that community interaction rather than have decisions made at people have them made with yeah and 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 for me i'd followed along um on the keep milton green forum and uh yeah it looked like there was really good engagement there and i think uh, next week we're having a little look at uh, the future for Kosham, are we not yes so we've got uh, councillor shah and uh, councillor steve pitt um on next week to talk about the Kosham plan so the big the big old plan for Kosham. um so as if pl- controversial planning um, planning decisions, well, not really a planning decision, but as in controversial plans, development plans, um, weren't. Um, well, if there wasn't enough of that this week, we're going to go into a bit of that with a with a bit of a more local flavour to us next week. So um, a bit of the hyper local. This is in my. Let's not discuss national issues. Let's ke- let's keep it local. I'm going to I'm going to ride that for a while. Um, so I believe Councillor Shah was um, his. Main speech was about increasing dentistry, and I think I saw a positive piece of news about there being more funding for dentists um, that broke fairly soon after. Uh, yes, so during the during the debate, uh, Councillor Matthew Winnington, the cabinet member for health, well-being, and social care, um, talked about um, what had pre up until that point been an embargoed uh, decision. So he was only able to release it at that point. Um, was a decision that's going to create a hundred thousand uh, new dentist units. Now, in English, that means visits to a dentist, um, which is about the equivalent of fifteen extra dentists um, in the city, um, and that's got the so- got the the buy-in from the dentists in the city. Um, so there won't be someone filling in. Sorry, Ba-bum. couldn't resist that. Um, but um, it's doesn't you know at the end of the day it might not touch the sides but it at least is a as a step in the right direction because this just you know these the stories that were being shared there were about um people being taken off you know dentist surgeries deciding not to basically not to take any nhs patients so effectively leaving patients deregistered um and then not able to register for a, a, a place um i think um councillor winnington talked about um how one of his colleagues had looked to try to register it somewhere and the nearest available place was in Bognor Regis. Not exactly 
commuting yep. dif- distance. So, um, step in the right direction, but you know, a fundamental thing about the the con- how the contractual arrangements work for uh, dentistry. So it was good to talk about that. But Shah's motion, really good, bringing a bringing a light to that. But it was his first motion to um, to the council, and um, everybody agreed unanimously that there aren't enough dentists. We should have more of them. Excellent. Yes, um, and there was some there was some good actions there about kind of calling on and tracking it, and um, you know, trying to find kind of ways to uh, ways to resolve it. But some of the other motions, so uh, Yinka Adenaran um, from Charles Dickens, so her first uh, motion was about the cost of living crisis, and uh, specifically about actually the impact of the cost of school uniform in regards to that, and that there are still. And I thought this was no longer a thing, but there are still schools insisting that you buy uniform from a particular retailer so they might be in a bit of a cozy arrangement perhaps with a particular um, a particular distributor of that uniform um, which really disadvantages um, parents especially if you've got kids that just keep growing because apparently if you keep feeding them they do that um, mm. and you get into trouble if you don't um, so again it's just um, um, a really large expense um, that keeps hitting um, families and if if you're if you're struggling to find money for lots of things, that's just another um, exorbitant cost. Um, so there were some good things. Sensible option of yes, can they just produce patches that you can iron on to, um, you know, standard plain uniform that you you can buy elsewhere and uh, and things like that. So attack of common yeah. sense. Yeah, and it's a funny old thing because it, again, it was. I remember, you know, again, it's a few years, so minor over school age now. But I, you know, it was the fact that, you know, I, I'd, it, it was a case of, you know, you had to have a branded polo for sports, a branded pair of shorts. I think the socks were branded. Um, you know, you had the only thing that you could buy generically were sort of white shirts and school trousers, but um, you know, sweatshirts, ties etc etc which seemed to tie seemed to get lost about every 12 and a half minutes all had to be you know purchased from from the school at at some at some costs i know that seems perfectly sensible to me that um particularly with many of the budget retailers you know almost having that's another question to ask about if you can get two polo shirts for four pounds where are they being made and what are the people being paid to make them but you know, recognising that the cost of living crisis is biting, that seems to me to be an eminently sensible suggestion. Yeah, it, it does, and um, basically the you know, motion quite um, quite sensibly just calls on the the cabinet portfolio holder to write to all schools and ask them to stop mandating um, yep. that frankly um, unreasonable request um, and to um, to consider extending free school meal provision to uh, children of hardship that aren't uh, captured by the existing criteria, uh, but also notes that. Um, there are lots of uh, community organisations that are, you know, doing great things within the city to, to try and help meet those needs or help connect parents with um, uniform that that is available. So it's, um, again, great community um, solutions. But the the underlying thing of there's a, um, to be honest, a pretty crazy decision policy decision that some schools need to think again. So mm, another definitely. another one with unanimous agreement. Um, uh, which wasn't entirely unexpected, was it? So, um, yeah, so some, yeah, so there were some key things. So we, even if the full council meeting didn't go on for 11 hours like it's prone to um, um, before, then um, it did um, did at least get lots of, um, lots of business done um, with predominantly unanimous, unanimous um, agreement, which... Um, which, as Councillor Robert New um, said himself, that's a it's a really great example of how much we can do when we can work together. If only everybody could listen to that advice with regard to item nine, which was the Tipner West Peninsula development. Indeed, but it sounds like that is ultimately where we are going to end up. So, yes, and again, we have been uh, we have been brief with our, and concise with our uh, with our work. So you have been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny-Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury. 
join us next week at 6.27 uh, when we'll have Councillor Steve Pitt and Ashgar Shah on the show to talk us uh, about the plan for costume. So uh, do tune in. Um, and if you've got some thoughts on that, please do share them on our on our Facebook page. Uh, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, etc. Um, throw money through our windows. Um, but you can find us on YouTube, Facebook um, and on Twitter. So see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa. Play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy.